Last week, um, our, our family were going out to dinner, and we were driving along Chapman, and all of a sudden, one of my kids goes, Look, Dad, there's a cat! Don't hit it! And I didn't, just for you cat lovers out there. But this cat just took off across Chapman with traffic going both ways. That is a recipe for disaster, something my kid, my boys want to see, but no. Um, and and we, as we get closer to it, we look, and the, the cat is going in this zigzag motion. And we look a little closer, and it is chasing a rat. It is the, the most bizarre thing. And, and so, and this is the middle of the day. This isn't at nighttime or anything. Um, middle of the day, this cat, this rat goes out, and this rat is going between cars, and this cat is going between cars, and this cat has no idea what its fate is about to be. And, and we drove on to the restaurant we were going to, and my boys are just all boy. They're like, can we go back and see what happened? <laughs> We want to see roadkill, Dad. (laughs) um, But think about that for a moment. As I I was thinking about it, we had a good laugh about it as a family because it was just bizarre. And it it actually, just so you know, it made it all the way across Chapman, um, both lanes of traffic. And I don't know if it got the rat. I sort of hope it did after all that. But um, what a picture, though, of how we are sometimes. Now, Now, some of you may be identifying with the rat, feeling like life is just chasing you and, and you have no hope. But I was thinking more in terms of the cat. We, as, as people, as human beings in our, in our fallen state and as we fight our natural man, we can get so focused in on our desires, right? And on what we want that we have no clue of the danger or the bigger picture of what's happening. And so we can, we can want to be masters of our own destiny and say, okay, I am... I am going to chase that mouse, or I'm going to chase this job, or I'm going to chase this thing that I want, or, or more, or whatever it may be. And, and we are, we have these blinders on, and we don't see what God can see. And He sees the cars coming about to smush us flat as a pancake and make us roadkill. And I, I have found at times in my life, I sometimes get frustrated with God, and, and, I know you've experienced the same thing. It's like, why God? Why didn't you work in this way? Why didn't you do this? But He has the bigger picture. And He knows what is going on, doesn't He? And sometimes we're the cat that say we don't care. I'm just going to go headlong in. This morning as we continue through our series, Behold Our God, we're studying through the names of God. And it's just been a marvelous time of getting to know God better. And the names this morning all have to do with being the cat and realizing there's someone over us that knows more, that sees more, that has designed us for more and coming under His authority, coming under His Word rather than just chasing our own desires. It's been a, a, my hope as we go through this series is that each name of God begins to expand our understanding of God is. And, and, and I hope we expand our knowledge of who God is and I hope that we also expand our awe of who God is. And, and as we, as you read scripture, as you come across these names, as you see Lord in all caps, or, or you see provider, or you see the God who sees, I hope that now instead of just glossing over those things, you're like, oh, I know what that means. God did this. Well, this is how God works. This morning, the, the three words that we use are more, the names that we're going to look at are more common names easy to just skip over in Scripture because we think, I know what that means. I hope today that after today you'll take pause when you see these words. Maker, King, and Shepherd. And that you'll take pause and say, that means something. That means something. We want to start with the first name, our Maker. And in Hebrew, Asa is the word. And maker has this idea, and with each of the words we want to explain a little bit, the word asa, maker, is similar to creator. And we've talked about Elohim, that God is the powerful creator. Well, maker has a little bit of a different nuance. Both are used in the Genesis account of creation. But maker is almost always, not always, but almost always used in Scripture of our maker or my maker. It's a much more personal word. It literally means to fashion or form out of something. And so whereas creator is to make something out of nothing, and it's this big word that talks about the greatness of God, maker is God stooping down 
and fashioning something with intentionality and with purpose and with personal care. I brought an example today, and I I love examples, and I'll refer to this a couple times. Anyone know what this is? It's a little wet because I forgot to get it before the sprinklers went off this morning. (laughs) It's what? It's a dumbwaiter. That's right. This is something I did on vacation, and and I took... I'm going to reveal just how poor of a woodworker I am. I took a whole day to do this. And to design it and to get the pulley and the tree and the rope. And this is a dumbwaiter or an elevator for our treehouse. We're working on a treehouse that was part of our vacation project that still continues even though vacation is done. And, um, and so the, the boys and I, we sat and we designed it. We went and bought the lumber and we fashioned this with care, right? And so we cut each piece of wood exactly, and, and there's different purposes for different pieces of wood. The, the edges have a, a specific purpose of being able to put tools and being able to put screws and things in there and take them up to the treehouse, or the kids like to take their, their food up there, and it's, it's handy that it doesn't just fall off the edge. And, and there's different things, like in the back, we put different supports very intentionally to take the rope, because the, it needs to be able to handle the weight. And so each piece has been fashioned with intentionality for the purpose that I have for this. Make sense? We'll come back to this in a minute. But that's, that's my vacation. Um, <laughs> no, it, it was good. It, that was restful and relaxing, I think. Um, but a saw or maker has this idea forming us. Now, we think this is an inanimate object, okay? This has no emotions, no personality. It has no soul. But when we think of God as maker, and when we hear words like our maker or my maker, it's very specific to making you and I. To making our personality, to making our physical side, our our bodies, our flesh, to making our soul with intentionality and with personal care. You and I are fashioned for the maker's purposes. One of the things that I think of when I think of maker is that not only are you and I fashioned for the Maker's purposes, but He is Maker of all. And we're going to see that as well. Maker of heaven and earth, we read in Psalm 121 too. And He is fashioning all of history for His purpose. He's fashioning all of this story for His purpose. He's fashioning all of the future for His purpose. And we get this big view of God and this personal view of God in one name. We'll get back to that in a minute. I, I want to jump to the first place in the Scripture where we see this name of God used. And it's in Job chapter 4, 17. Job chapter 4, verse 17. If you turn there with me, that would be great. We'll look at this. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black Bible under one of the seats right in front of you. You're welcome to pull that out and follow along. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that home as our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word. And so that would be our gift to to make sure you're able to read God's Word. But Job chapter 4, verse 17. And if you remember the story of Job, and if you've been in Myron's class, you remember the story of Job and burning vegetables and things flying all over the room. And But, but Job, his life suddenly, without his knowledge of what is happening, this is this happened between Satan and God, but without his knowledge, he sees his life just fall apart, right? He, he sees death in his family and all of his worldly goods gone and, and life just becomes this disaster zone. And he's faced with a question and the book of Job is, is this process of his friends questioning and him questioning coming to a point of understanding his relationship with God. And so in Job chapter 4, we get the first time one of his friends comes and talks to him, Eliphaz. And his friend, now not, not everything his friends say is good. And they get, they get chastised by God at the end. But it's interesting because Eliphaz captures the heart of Job, and it comes up later in Job. In Job 4.17, Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his Maker? That's the first time we see the title Maker. We see the verb that God makes things earlier, and even in the creation account, but He's called Maker here. And Eliphaz is going, he's going in a direction that isn't helpful. He's saying if something's wrong, obviously you're a sinner and you've done something wrong to offend God if all these things are physically are happening to you. But he does capture the heart of the question, what is our relationship with our Maker? If God has formed me, 
If God has created me and designed me for His purpose, what is my response to Him? And the question of Job is, how do I respond to Him when I don't understand what He's doing? When, when life is falling apart, when there's trials, when there's struggles. Now we know that ultimately the book of Job goes through these arguments and at the end, what's the answer? Does God ever answer why? No, but He answers who? And He says, who made the heavens and the earth? Who made the circle of the earth? Who made the stars in the sky? Who made the beasts you don't understand? And He comes back to Maker and showing that He is supreme, He is above, He sees the bigger picture. He sees the cars on Chapman that are about to smash the cat. And so we can trust Him. We come to Him. The Maker is superior and above what is made. This tray will never surpass me. No comments. I hope. But Job was struggling with that, with understanding and ultimately trusting his Maker. So bringing a couple of these thoughts together just to understand Maker when we see it. The first is that God has personally and intentionally made each of us. It's a personal word. Psalm 95.6 Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. And it talks about His personal care for us, but our response is one of worship. But then paired with that, the second bullet point you have there is God has made all things and is immeasurably above us. God has made all things and is immeasurably above us. In in theological terms, He's transcendent and imminent at the same time. He's above us and close to us at the same time. We see that in the word maker. In the, in the name maker for God. And so like we said in Psalm 121.2, He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is over all, but yet He still stooped to make you and me. And when I think of that, I think of that as precious. And the third bullet point there, God makes all things for His purposes. Proverbs 16.4 says, Yahweh has made everything for its purpose even the wicked for the day of trouble. And that word for made there is the same as maker. It's from the same root. He has made everything for its purpose. So if I had to summarize maker and what I would hope we remember, the creator of all personally and intentionally made you and I for his purpose. That's what we want to think of when we see that word. Corresponding name, uh, another name that we have for God that, that gives us the same idea is that of potter, right? You are the potter, I am the clay. We, we sing a song about that. Have thine own way, Lord. And in Isaiah 64.8, and if you want to turn there, Isaiah 64.8 is one of several passages in Isaiah where we see this name. We read, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We'll get to that name next week. We are the clay. You are our potter. And we are all the work of your hand. And, and catch what's tied with potter. What, God is described as potter. What are we described as? The work of his hand. Because a potter, and, and think in terms of some of the, the movies or, or pictures you've seen of a potter on a, a pottery wheel that's spinning and they're, they're fashioning this wet clay that's just a lump and, and as they fashion, and I've watched this happen, they, they take this lump and they start to use their hands and all of a sudden magic. And this, this, this pot or this vase starts to form just by holding their hands in a certain way. And, and out comes this useful vessel, this useful tool. That's the picture of what God has done to you and I. He has formed us and shaped us. He is molding us and forming us for His purposes. There's several more verses for Potter. You can look those up. They're in your notes. And we'll come back to a couple of them as we look at implications. But God is our maker. So what are some of the implications, some of the applications out of this? The first is our maker, that title, that name, reminds us of God's love and care as He personally formed us. It reminds us of His love and care. God feels distant sometimes, doesn't He? Sometimes we can wonder what God is doing. Look in the mirror. He made you. 
He formed you. Knowing all of your days, knowing everything that you would need, He created you exactly for His purposes. Yes, uh, just a side note, sin, sin taints that. And sin corrupts God's, what, what God created as perfect, but that doesn't thwart God's purposes. He knows about sin too. And He knows what we will need and how we will need to be made. See, as Maker, God knows me better than I know myself. He knows my personality. He knows my abilities. He, he knows the time that He had me be born. He put me here in this place at this time for His reasons, for His purposes. I don't have to think I'm an accident. And as we go through these implications, every one of these is attacked by, by a belief in evolution, by a lack of belief in a Maker. Because if, if we believe that our Maker reminds us of God's love and care for us as He personally formed us, if you take the Maker out of the equation, I'm an accident, there is no love and care, there is no hope. See the difference? That's why Maker is so important. Turn to Psalm 139. We cannot talk about Maker and not look at this passage. An incredible chapter that we're only going to look at four verses out of. Maybe five. Psalm 139. And listen to how our Maker is described and what our response is, what it does within us. Psalm 139, starting at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. And there's forming, making us. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. He knows us. He knows everything about us. Every day we will live, when as yet there were none of them. Verse 1 and the last verse of the chapter bookend this with, with this thought. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. Your Maker knows you. Your Maker knew every moment of your life before you lived it and made you so that you could live it for His glory. There is nothing that you will experience that God hasn't seen and hasn't made you to be able to glorify Him in. Isn't that an incredible comfort? His desires for me are better than mine. This, this idea of understanding our Maker, reminding us of love and care, it helps me think rightly about myself. It can be easy to come down on ourselves and, and, and struggle. I know there's, there's a lot of talk about you know, self-esteem in our kids and building them up. Well, self-worth and self-esteem, it comes from understanding we have a Maker. There is no self-worth without a Maker. Which is why it's so hilarious the schools are trying to focus on that while teaching evolution. It's contradictory. And if we think rightly of ourselves, it's that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God didn't make junk. Now, now you can take that too far and spend three hours in front of the mirror every day like, oh, look at me. No, no, that's not where we're going with this. It's, it's the focus is God. He loves and cares for us. Second application, we're to use all that God has given us to serve Him. Use all that God has given us to serve Him. We're to follow the Maker's instruction. If He's designed me for His purpose, do you think it might be helpful to look at how He's designed me and what His purposes are? Because if we try to go away from that, we are fighting the Maker, the Creator. Isaiah 29, 15 and 16, I'll read that to you. It brings back in the, the potter... Um, symbol in the potter name. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us, who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? And the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me. Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. It's referring to God's all supreme and all sufficient understanding in how he made us. In Romans 9.20, Paul refers back to the same concept. He says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? And so as we come into experiences 
as we come into circumstances we don't understand, as, as we come and, and say, okay, why did you make me like this, God? The question isn't, oh, I, I need to fight God on this. The question is, what do you want me to do, God? This tray here, if it could talk. If it could talk and tomorrow as I'm hoisting it up in the, the treehouse, it says, you know what, I don't want to be a tray anymore. I'd like to hammer in nails. I was asking my kids this last night. I said, so do you think that tray could hammer in nails? They're like, no, Dad. That doesn't make any sense at all. You'd have to go, uh, uh, And then they said, well, maybe Jeremiah Ailes could use it as a hammer. <laughs> They're probably right. <laughs> but it's not made to be a hammer. And so if it was to be, be upset with me for it being a tray and wanting to be that's silly, right? That, but that's the argument Paul's making, and that's what we do when we question how God has made us, when we question where God has put us. We're saying, I don't want to be a tray. But the Maker knows He has formed us intentionally and personally. Our response is to surrender. Ultimately, we have to answer to our Maker for how we use how He's made us for His glory. Sort of an illustration that I love to think of when I think of how I'm made is God has made each of us a picture frame for Him. A picture frame for His glory. And He has made each of us exactly in a way that displays His glory best to a lost and dying world. Embrace that. You're fearfully and wonderfully made by the Maker. A few more applications Just going through these quickly. Rejoice in your Maker is number three. Rejoice in your Maker. Enjoy Him. I didn't have this in my notes, and as I was studying all the verses on Maker, a couple of the verses in Psalms tied rejoicing with Maker. I'm like, that's an odd thing. But the idea is that to appreciate Him and appreciate what He's done and rejoice that He is the Maker and we don't have to be. In Psalm 149.2, Let Israel be glad in its Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. And we'll talk about king in a moment. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. And I think the Lord takes pleasure in his people is a key to understanding that. He has made us and he loves it when we worship him and rejoice in him and praise him. Fourth, application there is take comfort that our maker is at work the isaiah passage is one i'd encourage you to read talks about why are you afraid of anyone else why are you afraid of any man why are you afraid of anything else the maker has made when you have the maker on your side but psalm 121:2 summarizes it well my help comes from the lord who made heaven and earth if the maker of heaven and earth the transcendent God is the one helping me, I can take comfort and rest in that. There's peace in that. Finally, one last thought. Yahweh is maker to everyone else too. He didn't just make me personally. He made Phil personally too. And he made Kristen personally too. And that affects how I treat other people, doesn't it? That affects how I look at other people. Because... You're not just flesh. You're not just people. You are created, made, formed people by God Almighty. Proverbs 17.5 puts it really simply. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. God is maker. Personal and transcendent all at the same time. We come under Him because of that. That's the foundation. That gives Him the authority to be King. That gives him, If He's made us, He has authority over us. And so the second name we want to look at today is the Lord is King. The Lord is King. Yahweh Melech is how it's used in the Old Testament. And Yahweh, if you remember, is the self-existent, personal, faithful, or covenant God. He is, is contained in Himself. He can do whatever He wants, but He will be faithful to us and to His covenant to us. And then the second word there is Melech. And Melech is translated king. It means a head of a kingdom. And in, in terms of 
our thoughts in America, that's a little hard to understand, right? Because we have the judicial and the legislative and the executive, and, and hopefully they actually do different things, but um, that's a whole different discussion. The king was all three of those at once. So the king was the, the legislative. The king made the laws or enacts laws. That was one of the things that the king did. The king was the judicial. He judged people that broke the law. I remember Solomon when, when the, the baby, the dead baby came and, and there was one alive and there was a debate. He was acting as judge there when he said, let's divide the living baby in half. And, and he was judging what was happening there. And then a king also provides services for his people. That's the third point there. In God's case, he provides for us. And so a, a king is this ruler overall. He was the top guy. King had a kingdom. He had subjects. And there's a lot of overlap with the concept of king with Adonai or Lord that we talked about. So we won't necessarily spend as much time on it because you can think back to Adonai and Lord and Lordship and what that means. But king is a title of God that we use as a name for God. Some have said, well, it's not really a name, king. And it would be like you calling me pastor. That's my title but you are calling me a name when you do that. And so that's why we still use king. And it is used all through Scripture. We're just going to scratch the surface of, of king today in some of the verses. But if we have to think of something, we want to remi- remind ourselves that king reminds us of God's absolute authority and right to rule. The name king reminds us of God's absolute authority and right to rule. I love how it's usually paired with Yahweh. Because you could have a king that is an evil king, an unfaithful king, one that doesn't keep covenant, that only lives for himself. But Yahweh says he is a personal, faithful, covenant king. There are many uses of king. Psalms is where I want to focus today. And turn with me to Psalm 1016. Psalm 1016. And these are just short verses, sort of quick hits on king. But we see them in in many of the Psalms, many of the Davidic Psalms. And and he would know as one of the kings of Israel, the second king of Israel, the first great king of Israel, he would know what it meant to say God is king. In Psalm 10.16 we read, Yahweh is king forever and ever. Just straightforward, right? Yahweh is king or melech forever and ever. His reign never ends. And He's setting up a reign that is above all other reigns. A king that is above all other kings. The verse goes on, the nations perish from His land. No one can stand in His way. In Psalm 5.2, interestingly enough, David gets this idea of He's not only the king, He's my king. He not only has authority over all the nations, He has authority over me. When he says, give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. And he's coming and petitioning the King, putting himself under the King. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 6. We'll leave the Psalms for just a minute. But Isaiah chapter 6 gives us a rare insight into the throne room of the King of Kings. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. And the train of your robe had to do with how much glory you had, how much authority you had. And so to say it filled the temple was this incredible statement of awesomeness of who God is and His kingship. Above Him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We looked at that last week. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What was his response to seeing the king? He trembled in awe. Because a king has glory and authority. The king has all glory and all authority over us and over all things. Our response has to be this kind of awe. It's interesting. 
as we think of Israel, one of the issues with Israel was that they wanted a king. Remember that? And they demanded Saul because they didn't recognize the authority and rule of the king. And so they were willing to settle for a non-covenant-keeping king, a non-faithful king, because they didn't want to come under the king. In 1 Samuel 12.12, And when you saw that Nabash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall rule over us when the Lord your God was your king. See, they thought we don't have a king. We want to be like the other nations. Samuel is saying, you have a king. You're just not following him. And that decision caused all kinds of grief and trouble for years and years to come. Because they denied the true king and wanted to do things their way and be the cat chasing the rat across trap. See the pattern? The king knows what is best. He is the king of kings, we see in, in Scripture. In 1 Timothy 6.15, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. That means he's over all kingdoms. No one has authority over our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the king. And he's the king of kings. In Revelation 17, 14, we read, They will make war on the Lamb, speaking of Jesus, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And that's a direct statement of His deity, equating Him with God, because He is God. He's part of the Trinity. He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who with Him are called chosen and faithful. Revelation 19, 16, On His robe and on His thigh, He has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When we see king, I hope there stirs this sense of the Isaiah 6 throne room of awe and reverence and worship and submission. One last place to look before we look at implications. Turn to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. And we sang parts of this psalm this morning. So we sang about the king of glory. It's another title that is given to God, but I've put it with king. And the first half of the psalm is who will ascend into the, the place of the Lord? Who is worthy? And he talks about giving us clean hands and, and pure hearts and, and how we can walk with God. But then where it comes to is describing that God is the King of glory because that's foundational. And in verse 7 we read, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Yahweh strong and mighty, Yahweh mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Does that stir something in you? I can remember as a child, one of my friends had that memorized. And at our church growing up, we had times to share verses. He'd almost always share that one, and I loved it every time. I would like get chills every time. I want to follow the King of glory. Because what that's saying is He's the King that embodies all glory, contains all glory. This is the awe-inducing supreme King, the glorious King. And it reminds me that one day this King of kings will return and He will set up His everlasting kingdom. This world is not all there is, praise God. And this is not how His kingdom will look. You and I are citizens of His kingdom here in this fallen world, but a new day's coming. Implications and applications. There's four quick things to think about. No power on this earth has authority or ability to disrupt the King of Kings. So who do you really want to follow? The King of Kings or the King under the King of Kings? Secondly, while God is a personal God, He is also King over our lives, sovereign over all of our lives. And this goes back to Maker where we talked about it's a personal, but yet it also has to do with His greatness. The challenge here is when we only think of God as our best friend, my buddy, 
Now, is he, is he one that loves me and walks with me and cares for me? Absolutely. But he's also king and sovereign. And we dare not forget that. It's a parent that just wants to be a friend with their child and never parents. And, and you create a, a monster of a child when you do that. Because you're the parent. Well, in the same way, God loves us and walks with us and wants a relationship with us, but He's still God. And King, whenever we see this title, we should say, He's still God. And He's still on the throne, and I am not. Matthew 6 in in the Lord's Prayer captures both of these things. Jesus starts by saying, Our Father in Heaven, a very endearing term. and, And our Father, Dad in Heaven, Hallowed be your name. And then he goes to kingship. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a grand statement of God's kingship over his kingdom and of submission under that. To make him king over our lives, we have to commit to being his servant. Trusting his rule. Following his word. Obeying him. We're not God. And the cat needs to listen to somebody. Two other implications. Pray to the king. Come under the king. Submit to the king. Recognize the need for the king. When we talk about praying to the king, we're acknowledging, I am not sovereign. I need you. That's really healthy to acknowledge that we need God. It keeps us from getting big heads. Make sure you're nurturing your prayer life. Make sure you're nurturing a need for God. Come to Him regularly and often. Submit to Him. Finally, the last point there, kings deserve allegiance, right? If we had a dignitary come in, maybe a king from another country, and they came in, preparations would be made. We would honor them and and if we were going to the court of a king in another country, you'd dress a certain way and make sure you acted a certain way. You'd give allegiance. You'd give reverence. You'd give worship of a sort. Well, we're to reverence and worship the true king. When we come and we're not ready for worship on Sunday morning and we're not prepared to reverence the king, we, we are it's sort of a slap in the face to the king. And we're saying he's common and not worthy of my time. It's why sometimes we say a great Sunday morning starts on Saturday night as we start to prepare ourselves to meet God. Don't take worship lightly. Psalm 47 says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Keeps repeating that phrase. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Why we come, it's one of the reasons we come, is to sing praises to our King and our Maker. And part of giving Him reverence is making sure there are no false kings in my life. That I am not worshiping anything else. But God is the King of kings. So He's Maker, He's King, and the last name for God is, is a, a precious name. The Lord is my Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh Rohe. Yahweh Rohe. And, and we see this image throughout Scripture. And in the key passage where we see this is in Psalm 23, a familiar psalm. But think for a minute before we get to some of the verses. Think about shepherd. And that word was a common word because they, they had shepherds all over the place. Even today, if you go to Israel, and we'd love for you to come with us, we'll, we'll, we'll point out shepherds that are leading their sheep and They're still out there with their sheep and looking like they've lived with their sheep for a while. But they're shepherding. And and a shepherd, when you think shepherd, I'd like you to think of four things. A shepherd cares for you, watches over you. A shepherd feeds you. A shepherd protects you. And a shepherd leads you. Care, food, protection, and guidance. And that's what a shepherd would do with with sheep. He would take care of any injuries or anything going on. The, the shepherd would lead them to pastures and where they could eat and find food. If they, a, an enemy came or an animal came to, to kill them, the shepherd would kill that animal. As we saw with King David, a shepherd would guide the sheep because sheep are pretty stupid. 
And they don't know where to go. They need a shepherd. And so God is described as our shepherd. We are described as His sheep. Jesus even said He was the door of the sheep and He was the shepherd. A shepherd would sleep across the door of an enclosure at night so no wild animals or no enemies could get in and the sheep would stay inside. He would protect His sheep with His life. In Genesis 48.15, we see Jacob about to pass away and he's passing on a blessing to Joseph. And, and he says this, he says, And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and, I, Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. And that was the foundation of his blessing. So Jacob, looking back at his life, says, God has protected me. God has led me. He's fed me. He's cared for me. But turn to Psalm 23. And shepherd is one of those things where we could spend a long time looking at shepherd. And we have 10 minutes. But Psalm 23 gives us a wonderful picture of what a shepherd does, what Yahweh does for his followers because he is the shepherd to his sheep. Now keep in mind the setting. This is a, a Psalm of David. And David, most authors think he wrote this a little bit later in life, maybe toward the end of his reign. And if you think of some of the things David had gone through, he'd gone through it, hadn't he? I mean, he, he went from a shepherd boy to all of a sudden being anointed king, but he wasn't placed as king. Instead, he was chased around and the king tried to kill him for a while. And he's hiding in caves and he had highs with Goliath and he had lows with Bathsheba. And, and this man fought wars. He saw his children die. He saw his children turn against him. And most likely at the end of that, or all toward all that, he writes Psalm 23. Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. When we think of that, that doesn't mean he got everything he wanted. We use want in a little different way. I shall not want means I have no need of anything. My needs are met. I am content. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So He guides. He directs to food. He leads me beside still waters. A statement of tranquility in His leadership. He restores my soul. A statement of His care. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. A statement of His leadership and guidance. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod was used to, to, to fend off animals. A staff was used for discipline. A little poke in the, the cedar of a little sheep when they're going the wrong way. Grabbing them with the staff. And so shepherd isn't just all warm and cuddly. There's a rod and there's a staff, but there's also care. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you see a picture of what happens when we come under the shepherd. We say, I'll follow the shepherd. A couple of things to notice. Notice all the personal pronouns in that. It's not the Lord is a shepherd. Other people shall not want. He makes others to lie down in green pastures. This is very personal, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Because a shepherd cares for his sheep individually. What I notice about a shepherd is that strength and gentleness are combined. A rod and a staff, but yet care. Isaiah 40, verse 11 catches that. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll lead and guide his flock. He will gather his, the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And you see gentleness and you see strength. Let me just read a couple of other Psalms. Psalm 95, 6 and 7. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the God our Maker. We read that for Maker, right? 
Next verse. Catch how they're all intertwined. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His land. He's the Maker. He formed us. And that gives Him the right to be King. But also because He knows us, He shepherds us. He doesn't leave us stranded. Psalm 100, verse 3, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. And you see Maker again. And then the very next phrase, And we are the... Sorry. And we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Again, we see Jesus also taking the title of shepherd because Jesus is God. And when you see the same title given to God and to Jesus, those are all just wonderful little little pictures of of Jesus' deity. And in John 10, 10 and 11, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. See, Jesus Christ came to to show us what a shepherd looks like and to show us the salvation and the protection that a shepherd can give. And when it says he lays his life down for a sheep, yes, that that quite possibly was referring to laying across the doorway, but the bigger picture of what he's referring to is that sheep need God. And sheep are, are dead in their sins. They are lost in their sins. And Jesus came to take the penalty for our sins, which was death, on Himself on the cross. He laid down His life for His sheep as the Good Shepherd, as the Great Shepherd. And as He hung on that cross, that was an act of shepherding. And that is why we repent and we come to Him and we follow Him and say, You are God. You are our Shepherd. If you have never given your life to God, There is no greater shepherd. There is no one else that has paid the penalty for your sins and offers eternal life if you come to Him. Hebrews expands that. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. So He was the good shepherd and now the great shepherd by the blood of the eternal covenant. There's some more great verses to read there. If I was to give homework, I'd say read Ezekiel 34, 11 to 16. Just write that down. Ezekiel 34, 11 to 16. It's another description of God as shepherd, of Yahweh as shepherd, and what he does. But I wanted to hit just the three implications of the name shepherd. The first is we are to hear his voice and follow him. We are to hear his voice and follow him. See, a sheep and a, and a shepherd, a sheep and a shepherd, the sheep were so used to the shepherd's voice that he just had to walk ahead and call out, and the sheep would follow him because they knew that's their shepherd. That's the picture of what a walking with God should look like. In John 10, 3 and 4, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. I love that. Hey, Ron, come here. And it's up to me, do I hear him and recognize him as shepherd and follow him? He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Do you know his voice? This is the voice that we have from God. And the only way that we will follow the shepherd and know his voice is if we actually open this up every now and then. Or or turn on your app and read your app. That works too. But we have to be in this. And in fact, how do you begin to recognize someone's voice? You have to hear it over and over, right? You have to hear it regularly. I won't hear one of your voices one time and then be able to recognize you in a crowd. And so if we're to follow this, if we're to hear his voice and follow him, we've got to be regularly in God's word. And that's why when someone comes and says, I'd like to know God's will for my life, I don't know what to do in this, the first question is always, how much are you in God's Word? Because if you're not regularly in God's Word, you can't recognize His voice. That makes sense? When we say shepherd, when we say God is our shepherd, our response is, are we hearing His voice and following Him? Second one there is, comes from Psalm 23, I shall not want... 
Contentment only comes from trusting the shepherd and his provision. You can chase a whole lot of things in life for happiness and contentment. But we can't do that on our own. We're not the maker. We're not the king. We're not the shepherd. We're just the sheep and the cat. Lots of weird, weird metaphors today. <laughs> and if we're to find contentment, we need to find it in the only one that can supply all of our needs and that we can walk away and say, I will not want, I shall not want. And finally, we need to remember that we are sheep and deeply need the shepherd. Sheep are dirty, smelly, a little clueless at times. I'm not trying to insult you. I'm there. I'm a little clueless at times in life. I'm chasing the mouse sometimes. Sheep, we need a shepherd. Isaiah 53.6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. How many sheep? All we like sheep have gone astray. I'm not going to have you baa or anything like that. But we're sheep. We have turned everyone to his own way. And that's why the cat story at the beginning. We, we follow our own desires. We follow our wants. And the Lord has laid on him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Because we have sinned, because we have done our own things, payment must be made. And Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, made that payment. I want to end with a, a quote from Kay Arthur about sheep. as She wrote about what it meant to be sheep under a shepherd. If sheep do not have the constant care of a shepherd... They will go the wrong way, unaware of the dangers at hand. They have been known to nibble themselves right off mountainsides. They will overgraze the same land and run out of food. If they are not led to proper pastures, they will, they will obliviously eat and drink things that are disastrous to them. Not only that, they will literally live their lives in a rut if the shepherd does not lead them to new pastures. Sheep easily fall prey to other animals. When they do, they are virtually defenseless without their shepherd to protect them. Sheep can also become cast down and in that state panic and die. And so because sheep are sheep, they need shepherds to care for them. The welfare of the sheep depends solely upon the care they get from their shepherd. Therefore, the better the shepherd, the healthier the sheep. Which shepherd are you following? Follow the maker and king shepherd. That's the one. Let's pray. Lord God, I am astounded that you have personally made us. That you have formed us with intentionality and care and love for exactly your purpose. Lord, and because of that, we honor you as king. We give our allegiance to you, Lord. But thank you for not deserting us for guiding us and leading us every step of the way. Lord, we praise you and reverence you and worship you for being our maker, king, and shepherd today. In Jesus' name, amen.